I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome into this week's episode of the It's You Tell Us World podcast. Tom Hackett alongside Steve Bartle. Check Steve out on Twitter at sbartle247 or head on over to utezone.com for all your Utah football needs. I'm at Tomcat Hackett or on kesosports.com. And this podcast is fortunate enough to be sponsored by Nate Wade Subaru, 1207 South Main Street. If you're in the need for a new car, they look that, and you're in Utah. There's just no better option. I'm just telling you right now, uh, they sell like bloody crab cakes. Those Nate Wade Subarus. So <laughs> get on down and tell them we sent you. They'll uh, they'll look after you. And um, all right, Steve, here we go. So Utah coming off a buy. There's a there's a decent amount to get to. Not maybe as much as as a regular game week uh, per se, but. Uh, Utah football program continues to mourn the tragic and senseless death of Aaron Lowe. Uh, there is an update with that, uh, which is good, and we can talk about that. And then, uh, but of course, the main subject for this podcast will be Utah versus USC at the Coliseum this upcoming Saturday uh, in a, uh, a blockbuster. Pac-12 South affair. It's um, this is a big one. I mean, they're always big against USC, but but this one feels maybe just a little bit bigger for Utah's sake. So anyway, let's start with um, I guess the good news in what has been such a difficult last couple of weeks for um for everybody involved in the Utah football program. They they arrested uh the lead suspect. Steve, uh, over the past weekend, his name is Book Book. Uh, he is a is it Sudanese refugee? Am I correct in saying that? Just Looks a like young, it, yeah, just a young fella, uh, twenty two years of age. He did have a criminal history, uh, and so and so some sort of justice has has come to um, to this case, uh, and we'll obviously follow it to see. What happens? What the sentencing is like, so on and so forth. But uh, it, it it is believed that the killer in the Aaron Lowe tragedy has been caught, and he is no longer on the streets of Salt Lake City. So that is very, very promising um, for everybody involved, for for the greater Salt Lake City community, for that matter, and um, uh, and hopefully. Uh, for, for whatever it may be worth, the family and loved ones of Aaron Lowe can sleep just that little bit easier, uh, if if that's even possible. Um, so that's the update there, Steve. There's really not a ton more to it, I don't think, unless you want to 
Want to add anything? Did I miss no, something? I, no, I, I, you know, obviously they've, uh, they've got the guy and, and I think, you know, this is, uh, this is an important thing is, you know, I think the police have a pretty, pretty good idea. This is not something where it's, you know, it's a guess or anything like that. There were photos and videos, um, that became available to the Salt Lake City uh, Police Department. Um, and uh, it sounds like, you know, this is this is absolutely the guy. And and I think that's an important thing. Uh, and, you know, this isn't this isn't over. There were you know, other parts and other contributors to this event. And and so you just hope that through, uh, you know, as this process works out that, you know, they are able to get um, everybody in custody that that deserves to be there so um it's it's a, it's a good moment um in in the fact that you've got a uh a murderer off of the streets a criminal um off the streets and and out of our community um you know it, it sucks that uh it uh, that tragedy you know struck so close to home for these utah football players literally you know up there and in Sugar House, uh, it's uh, it's it's sad, and so uh, you just hope that um, you know Utah football with this that uh, it's it's a good thing for them that you know justice is um, is soon to be served uh, in this case, and and so that's that's an important thing there for sure. Without going into um, too much detail, obviously, when the arrest was made, Salt Lake City Police Chief Mike Brown. Uh, along with the Salt Lake City Police Department, released a statement issuing uh, a few more tidbits of information. And um, boy, it, it it's hard to uh, it's, it's hard to even think about it when I read this. But it does sound like uh, Book Book um, uh, conducted himself in, in in quite a manner. It was almost an, an execution style killing yeah. where. Uh, he unleashed a, a few a few rounds uh, from point blank range, and then as uh, Aaron Lowe fell to the ground, he he stood over him and and, and shot more rounds uh, from point blank range, which is uh, wow, um, heavy stuff and yeah. hard to fathom, hard to understand, hard to even comprehend how anybody in their right mind could potentially could potentially do something so sinister. But um, yeah, it is. Um, it's it's really hard to it's hard to think about, let alone hard to talk about. So um, we we certainly, uh, I guess, you and I on this podcast, thankful justice in some way has been served, and and there are others involved, as you mentioned, Steve. So police, the the police department here locally, and and, and the police chief Mike Brown are working diligently to try and uh, make further arrests to those that were involved, and um, uh, we look forward to that day. Um, to say the least. Uh, yeah. So let's backtrack, Steve, uh, to Monday. So Monday was the first time Carl Whittingham had spoken to the media since the tragedy unfolded. They took all of the week prior off following the Washington State game, following the tragedy of the passing of Aaron Lowe. And so Monday was the first time we heard from Carl Whittingham. And as you'd mentioned, he had a haircut. He cleaned it. He cleaned himself up. He said it was too much too much work to uh, keep that mane intact, so we decided to get rid of it. And um, and and he was obviously pretty, pretty quiet and and, and pretty emotional. Uh, he was hurting. It was it was just very obvious during that entire press conference that he was 
still in a state of shock, um, disbelief, and couldn't quite understand uh, why this has happened again. But um, he did mention that the number 22, Steve, while he is the head football coach at Utah, will likely be retired for good. Um, And it's my understanding that that will be the, the very first number to ever be retired at the University of Utah, which I thought was uh, a really, really clever um, and intelligent move by the university to further pay respect to two amazing men uh, and fantastic individuals that have tragically lost their lives in the span of nine months, despite growing up with one another and both having worn the number 22. I I thought that was cool, Steve. I I really do. What do you make of it? Yeah, I think that that is a very valuable gesture to retire that number. It's, you know, it's just, again, I think we talked about this on on the previous episode, but just how, you know, obviously the ties between Aaron Lowe and Ty Jordan, uh, it's just, it's eerie that this is, uh, that this has happened um, and that it's happened to the two uh, individuals, you know, Jordan and Lowe. I think it makes a lot of sense to retire the number. Um, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Utah do other things, um, to, uh, to honor, you know, Aaron Lowe, um, you know, and Ty Jordan, obviously, because those, those two are, are, uh, are synonymous now. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, I think it's a, it's a, a very, uh, good thing for the program to do that. Um, you know, I, I felt like, um, having players wear that number, that number 22, um, as a way to honor Ty Jordan, I felt like that was, that was awesome. I felt like that was the right thing to do to make that a, a symbolic gesture of Ty Jordan. But the fact that, you know, you've had now Ty Jordan and Aaron Lowe pass away, I think, I think retiring the number is, is the only way to really kind of move forward, I guess. Uh, I don't even know if that's if that's the right way to to put it or the or the right thing to say, um, but I do think that that is the 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 correct thing to do is is to retire that number and and uh, and and you know like I said I, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the only thing that we see come of um, come of of you know this this uh, this with Aaron Lowe. Yeah, uh, it's quite it's it's crazy, isn't it? I look, I um. I'm not really a, a big believer in, in the spiritual world necessarily, but when I heard the news, I mean, I was in a state of shock and it was shortly thereafter. I'm going, is it the number, is the number 22 cursed? I mean, like what, how right. is this even possible? I just, I couldn't even, just my, brain, yeah, my brain couldn't even comprehend it. And so I, I have no doubt that that was not the reason they, they retired. They, they retired it out of respect to the two players, but I think there's also a conversation to be had about, you know, if they if they weren't to retire that number and somebody were to wear it, that there is additional pressure and responsibility that's now uh, related right. to the number, and 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 so that's probably not quite fair on on that player. And um, I, I look, I just think it makes sense entirely to to hang it up in the rafters um, and let people kind of appreciate the number and the players that wore it in Ty and Aaron from, from afar. And so, um, and so that'd be cool. And, and as you mentioned, I'm sure there'll be a ton of other tributes that the program and the university has, that does over the course of this season and, and moving forward. Um, 
we have heard from the players as well, Steve, and the players um, have also talked about the the pain of loss and um, and how difficult it has been for them as individuals um, and as a collective to to move forward. I, I'm under the understanding that Aaron Lowe's mother uh, uh, spoke to the team in a, in a team meeting setting um, and told the team that Aaron would want the team to move forward and to continue to play this season. And so that is why, or what that is one of the, the main reasons there hasn't been much discussion about postponing this game against USC or any future games that the team has galvanized with, with one another um, and through the brave and courageous words from Aaron Lowe's mother, they've decided to, to push forward and play football in respect um, of Aaron and, and Ty, obviously. And, um, and that has been a lot of what this, this week's media availability has entailed, but yeah, just, just by listening to the players, Britton Covey, for example, you know, one of the bigger leaders on the team, uh, he, he's talked at nauseam, Steve, about how how nice it's been, despite, you know, all of the heartache that's being felt, to, to just be able to put the helmet and pads on and, and go out there and play football and practice and and, and, and yeah. focus all of your attention on, you know, the minor details that it takes to be successful playing football, um, all the while knowing in the back of your mind there's a lot of pain and suffering going on. So, um, it, 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 you know, I'm ex- look, I, I think what I've learned, Steve, from all of this is I, I'm just excited for this program to be able to take the field against USC this weekend, yeah. um, pay, pay their respect and tribute to, to, to Aaron and Ty and, um, and, and see what they're made of and, and see if they can get a historic win in the Coliseum. I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's going to be quite a spectacle. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Tom, in, in having the opportunity to, uh, to have been up there. I was up there on Monday. I wasn't able to attend um, Tuesday where we typically get to speak to, to defensive players, but I had the opportunity to talk to a couple offensive guys and, you know, Brent Keithy in particular talked about just how, the team has really kind of um, used this in a, in a positive way. And he made it clear, like, you know, he, he, <laughs> uh, he said it's pretty crappy, but he, you know, he didn't, he didn't use the word crappy. Um, you know, he made it clear that it, it sucks that Aaron Lowe is, is no longer with, the, with us. Um, you know, that it's, it's weird. Um but in in a in a way, uh, it's it's kind of brought the team together. And and again, he made it clear that it, it sucks that something like this, um, that it, it's something like this that that has you know brought the team closer together. But uh, in a, in a way, it has. And and I think you know Brant recognized that you know last week and and the first day of practice on Monday, um, just how much. Um, how much more, you know, emotion and positivity there was, you know, from players um, in practice. Uh, and I think it's, it should be a point of emphasis for the team moving forward is, you know, just to continue to, you know, be positive because, you know, a tragedy like this, like I, I've, I've kind of learned and kind of realized like people all cope with 
um, with tragedy in their own unique kind of way. Uh, but something like football, right? Something that can allow you to escape um, from, you know, uh, the pain, the, the, uh, the worry, the panic that you might feel, you know, from, from, you know, the real world. Uh, the fact that these guys can, can play a game uh, in a way to honor, uh, you know, their teammate, uh, Aaron Lowe, like it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a great way for them to, to move forward, um, you know, and to continue to honor him. I think that's kind of the thing is, you know, they do, they do want to move forward. And I think Aaron Lowe's mother meeting with the team last week was so important and so crucial for uh, this group of guys uh, to do that uh, and to hear that from her, to get her blessing, um, I think was important for them. And, and I think the team is, um, you know, it, it's, it's still, you know, we don't know exactly how this team is, is going to, is going to look, how they're going to react, how they're going to perform, you know, with something like this weighing, you know, heavy on them. We just don't know. Um, until they, they get out there and, and just kind of go through it and work their way, work themselves through it. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting, but I do think, and it sounds like, um, you know, the team, the players uh, have all kind of bought into, you know, this using this as a way to kind of bring the team closer together to, to kind of galvanize and, 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 and bring them closer together. Um, you know, and, and that's a point that Britton Covey made on Monday is, you know, it can, it can do one of two things. It can bring you together or it can, you know, or it can tear you apart in a way. And, and I think the team has, uh, has made the choice to, you know, at least try, <laughs> like we don't know until we know, but to at least try and, and come closer together and work, you know, closer together and those types of things. Uh, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see what that looks like on Saturday. Yeah. I, I'm trying to pull up the tweet. So, so it's been a pretty rough couple of weeks here in Utah from a football front. There was a, a lineman from Snow College that right. tragically was killed in a, um, in, a, in, a, in a crash down there in, in Ephraim, Utah. Um, and I think, is Jan Jan Jorgensen? I think he's the defensive coordinator for. I think so. Yeah, I think so. For for Snow College, I know he was. Yeah, I know he was at least. He I don't know t- if he still is. He might be. At like two a.m. that night, when when it started, the news started to leak that this tragedy had unfolded. He tweeted out something that I saw, and I'm having a hard time finding it. But it said something along along the lines of, you know, it's these moments where you know, football just doesn't seem all that relevant, but at the same time, football means everything. And um, yeah, I thought it was really quite a powerful statement uh, uh, and, and pretty impactful for uh, a variety of reasons. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's the way Utah's handling this Aaron Lowe tragedy is, is they're, they're one big family and they preach yeah. about it and they're a team, obviously, and they, they love one another. They do a ton of stuff together um as one and um and to to push forward they need everybody to um to assist in that and and this usc game is is kind of the first the first real main test i have to assume for um for the players and coaching staff 
as they'll be without Aaron Lowe for the first time um, this season. Um, and so let's let's talk about USC, Steve, because that's um, yeah. that's what we're here to do. And USC Trojans, they uh, they end up beating Colorado pretty easily in the end, um, 34-14. Uh, Colorado were egging. You and I kind of briefly spoke about this. I wasn't able to catch a ton of the game, even though I was hoping to do so. Uh, but they were kind of – Colorado were, were almost egging USC to rush the football and rush. They did Keontae Ingram with – 124 yards off just 14 carries. He averaged nine yards a carry, believe it or not. Keaton Slovis was good. He ended up with just 276 yards, which, you know, a decade or two ago would have been would have been really good. But in today's world, it's it's just average. He did throw for three touchdowns, no interceptions. And and of course, their star, their star player on offense, number 15, Drake London, who we'll spend a ton of time talking about today. Nine receptions, 130 yards. He averaged 14 and a half yards a catch, and he added a touchdown to his stat sheets as well. So uh, this is a uh, look, Steve. I, I feel like this has been the way, oh gosh, for maybe the last five or six years. When when you talk about USC, it's uh, it's a team that's probably underperformed on the year so far. They're three and two. Uh, but there's an argument to be made that they have maybe the best player in all of the conference in Drake London and a ton of star power around him. Uh, and, so, and so they're really dangerous as they, like I said, have been for the last five, six years. But they're not great. They're not a great USC team. They seem to be good. They're also they're also beatable. And they've, they've, they've kind of shown that this season uh, following Clay Hilton's sack in Stanford romped them at the Coliseum a few weeks ago. And so they're beatable, but they're really also yeah. dangerous. So it's a really weird team, uh, much like Utah in a, in a sense, I guess. But yeah, uh, what do you make of the way they handle the bus? Yeah, no, it was, uh, that game was, you know, it was, I don't want to say impressive uh, because they essentially just took what Colorado gave them and that was the run game. Uh, but I think it shows growth from not only the offense, but just, you know, from Graham Heller, Harrell as a, uh, as a play caller, um, because, you know, you know, you go back to 2019 and USC's big ugly loss that season, uh, maybe not their, their biggest ugly loss, but it was, it was a pretty ugly one was to BYU and uh, BYU played, you know, their, <laughs> their famous drop eight coverage. Um, which is, you know, essentially um, what what Colorado was doing was daring USC to run, and you know USC did what Colorado wanted them to do, and they ran the ball and they ran it effectively. And so, uh, from that aspect, I think it shows growth um, and and shows I don't want to say ev- an evolution uh, in terms of their play calling. Uh, but it just shows that they can, they are capable of, of being a balanced team. I think they had 10, I think they had three guys, um, three running backs with at least 10 rushing attempts in that game uh, with Keontae Ingram, uh, Vivi Malapai, and, and then, uh, and then Darwin Barlow was the other one. And all, all three of them were productive. Uh, so, you know, this is now something where, you know, that's on tape. Utah has has done really well in defending the run um, against the USC Trojans. 
Uh, even last, even last year, with you know how ugly that game was for Utah, uh, with all you know all context considered, um, Utah still limited that USC rushing attack to just three yards per carry. Um, you know, it's not it's not the half a yard uh, half a yard per carry average like it was in 2019, but you know three yards a carry. If you limit a team to that, you're you're usually doing something pretty good. So. Um, you know, that's that's going to be important for Utah to uh, respect the USC rushing attack because, you know, just like they showed against Colorado, it is something that can beat you. Um, and so this is this is kind of a, a tough test where, you know, you, you obviously have Drake London and you know what he's capable of. He's got 670 yards through five games um, just on an incredible pace this season. Um, where, you know, he's likely going to break a thousand yards, uh, and probably, uh, probably pushes towards, you know, maybe 1500 yards. Like he is on an incredible pace. So, um, just, uh, he's an incredible talent an incredible matchup nightmare, six, five, 210 pounds played basketball. Like he's just a fluid athlete. Uh, he's got an incredible catch radius, which, you know, is why he's such a difficult guard, because even when you've got defensive backs, you know, on him, draped all over him, like he's still just got that ability to, you know, he's open even when he's not open. And you can't say that about every receiver, but he's he's proven uh, very capable of making catch after catch in contested situations. So, you know, this USC offense, it's it's going to be tough to defend. Uh, it's going to take a really disciplined approach. And like I said, like, I feel like I'm a broken record when I say this, but, you know, to me, this is all, this is going to come down to Utah winning in the trenches. I think, you know, Utah has to, I don't want to say play soft coverage, but you've got to keep guys in coverage uh, because you don't want to get, you don't want to allow the explosive plays and all of that. You want to play a disciplined brand, a disciplined brand of, of, uh, of defense. So, you know, you've got to get after Slovis, though. And so, you know, as long as Utah's defensive line can generate some pressure up front, um, hopefully with just four, I think that goes a long way uh, towards helping the secondary and, and kind of limiting their exposure to some big plays. So um, it's going to be a tough test, uh, but I do think this defense, um, you know, they they have a way to kind of mitigate some, some, uh, some talent <laughs> discrepancies in certain in certain spots um and and they certainly make up a lot of ground in the trenches with their defensive line they've got to they've got to you know control things against the run but they've got to be able to generate some pressure up front in the passing game as well so as i mentioned usc's three and two in the year um they started off at home beating san jose state they then played stanford at home they lost clay Helton was fired they went up to the Palouse and whomped on Washington State. That was the arrival of Jackson Dart, who threw for USC program record um, for for a debut. Uh, they came back home and and lost to Oregon State, and then obviously last week went on the road and lost to, to Colorado. So they played two conference games at home, Steve, against Stanford and Oregon State respectively, and they've they've lost and they've lost in similar fashion. There's similarities right. here that I think the Utah football uh, program, the coaches in particular, will be will be picking up on. So against Stanford, it was a 42-28 loss. Against Oregon State, it was a 45-27 loss. And if we were to look at so just some of the numbers. 
from from Stanford and Oregon State offensively. Their quarterbacks didn't have that big a game. So Tanner McKee threw for two hundred and thirty four yards. He's the um he's the he's the Stanford quarterback. He's actually an LDS fella. And then Chance Nolan for Oregon State threw for two hundred and thirteen. So they're not crazy numbers, but uh, Oregon State and Stanford both ran the football right up. USC's, you know what, BJ Baylor for Oregon State ended up with 158 yards on the ground. Uh, and for Stanford, uh, Nathaniel Pete had 115. So both of those guys went for over 100 yards on the ground. Their quarterback, Stanford and Oregon State's quarterbacks against USC at home weren't overly formidable, although they were effective. But it was the ground game, Steve, that was able to get the job done for me. I caught a lot of that Oregon State game from uh, from about because it was a late one too. It was a few weeks ago, and it was really late. It was Pac-12 after dark, true Pac-12 after dark, if you say. And uh, and it was a pretty close close game up yeah. until midway through the third, and that was when BJ Baylor and Oregon State Chance Nolan started to show their uh, strength. Uh, and they just kept drives alive. They just kept the football in their hands and didn't allow USC to be out there all that much. Uh, and that that was enough. So if you're Utah, you have to like that, Steve. You know how Carl Whittingham operates. He's a he's a grind and pound sort of coach. He loves to run the football, you know, as as often as he's allowed to, essentially, and uh, and throw it sparingly to try and catch defenses off guard. So that that's promising if you're a Utah fan and you're looking for uh, the Utes to put in a good showing against USC, don't you reckon? No, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Like um, you look at you look at what Oregon State did in particular. They ran for 322 yards against USC. Like that is just uh, an absurd number. Um, you know, for for anybody. You know, especially, you know, in Oregon State against the USC and just the, the talent difference between those two programs um, is is uh, it's it's substantial. So it, it really says a lot. Um, you know, Stanford maybe didn't run the ball as effectively as uh, as Oregon State did. Uh, but what they did is they took care of the ball and they took advantage of opportunities that USC gave them by making mistakes. Right. Like they didn't shoot themselves in the foot and they, they, you know, capitalized on USC shooting themselves in the foot with turnovers and things like that. So, um, you know, you can't always bank on, on turnovers. You do your best to create them. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes things just happen and the ball bounces your way and that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, it's going to be tough, but you know, Stanford, they still ran for 140 yards as a team against against USC. Still ran for three touchdowns. Um, so, you know, it, it's crazy how similar these, you know, Utah, USC, Stanford, um, all three programs love to utilize tight ends, multiple tight ends. They love to be physical up front. And so I know, like, there's a lot of a lot of angst about the passing attack and and all of that, but against, you know, this USC program, um, you know, what's proven to be, to work is, you know, an effective running game. And obviously USC, they, they're going to self-scout, they're going to self-evaluate, they know kind of what to expect. Uh, And so, um, you know, they'll come into this game expecting, you know, Utah rushing attack. And so uh, they're, they're going to bring it. Um, So, you know, it's, it's encouraging that this is kind of, 
Um, the way to beat the USC team is with an effective running game. The issue uh, for Utah's has been holding on to the football. They've mm. been able to generate a lot of yards. Um, you know, they have all three guys, TJ Pledger, Makai Bernard, and Tavion Thomas. All three of them have a 100-yard rushing game under their belt so far. Um, it's just there have been <laughs> so many fumbles that it's, it's masked a lot of the productivity that they've had through these first three games. And I think that the most encouraging thing is that the offensive line finally looked like they figured things out in the run game. Um, they finally played with physicality up front, uh, created some, some good lanes some good blocks and good, you know, plays developed in the run game. And I think that was an encouraging sign against Washington state. And yes, it is Washington state. But when you look at this USC defensive front, you know, there are a lot of guys about 270 pounds, 260 pounds, um, it's, it's not, it's not the USC defensive front that we remember back in, you know, 2014, 2015, when you and Travis played where they just had these gargantuan six foot six, 290, 300 pound guys. Yeah. They had that uh, Williams know. fella. Remember the, the guy Mario? the Afro? Yeah. Yeah. I think, what was it? Mar- was it Mario Williams? I, I don't can't know remember his Mario first name. Williams. He was at Mike the Jets Williams? though. He was at the Jets yeah. when I was there for a split second and, uh, yeah, he's bigger in person. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's really big. Uh, so it's good that they don't have them right now. Right. That's nice, Steve. I mean, yeah. hopefully we can get some push, man. That, and that's like, to me, that's that's going to be the key is, you know, the youth offensive line uh, for as much as they've struggled this this season, you know, pass protection, uh, you know, in USC, they've got the athletes. We all remember Drake Jackson. Um, you know, and what he's done to, to Utah, the, the headaches that he's caused Utah in the passing game, you know, USC's got some athletes, so they may not be the big, the big gargantuan defensive linemen, um, you know, that we, we watched when you were there, Tom, but they've got athletes and they've got athletes, a number of them, like they've got six, seven guys that they'll rotate through there that are all kind of, you know, in that 270 pound range. Uh, that can get after it, that can create pressure and and, and kind of penetrate the, the the pocket there. So that's going to be tough. Uh, but yeah, this this is going to be if Utah can kind of get the run game going, that's going to be a big big help um, to Utah's chances um, offensively. I um look full full transparency here. I, I have absolutely no idea what to expect from Utah offensively. Yeah. I, I, I I'm I'm just sorry. I and it's and to be honest, it, it doesn't even have anything to do with the tragic passing of Aaron Lowe. Uh, they've just been so inconsistent every week this year. It's impossible to tell how they're going to play and how they're going to perform. But I I do think what's what's maybe an easier prediction going into this game would be. USC's offense up against Utah's defense, and and I, I don't know, I don't envision Utah trying to do what Colorado did a week ago, and and you know throwing three down linemen, egging them to run, egging USC to run. I, I think Scally, Morgan Scally and Utah are going to throw four down linemen, see if they can get after Slovis. Uh, they, they'll have they'll likely have some success stopping the run. Uh, I, I don't think USC's offensive line is all that great, and I think Utah can get yeah. after both the quarterback and the tailback in the backfield. Look, the key, to, the key to this game for me when it comes to Utah's defense, Steve, is, is London Drake. Uh, how, how on earth do you stop 
you know, the slowest straight connection. If you, if you can manage to do that, great. Your chances of winning just go up tenfold. But doing that is, is easier said than done. You, you know, you, you can't put two guys on him, although you can try. But, you know, with, with USC and how talented they are, they've, they've got other guys that are highly recruited that are incredibly quick right. and hopefully dynamic as well. So, so it'd be, I think, foolish to potentially throw a safety over the top of, of, of London Drake. But what do you do, Steve? What, what, what do you reckon? What do you reckon we'll see? No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Tom. Like as, as I, as ideal as it would be to, you know, play that bracket coverage where you've got a corner and a safety, um, essentially primarily res- their primary responsibility is Drake London. Like as, as nice as it would be to just do that, like, USC's just got talent across the field. Um, you know, they've got Taj Washington, uh, an athletic receiver that's, you know, he's got 220 yards on the season so far. They've got Michael Trigg, um, who is, you know, he's not Drake London, but he's 6'5", 240 pounds, and just an athlete, a two-sport guy, just like Drake, um, played basketball, football, good athleticism. Like, he's a guy that can punish it. He is only a true freshman. But he's still he's a talent. So, um, you know, and then you've got the run game that you have to respect at least. And so, yeah, like Tom, I think I think the key here again, like I said earlier, and, and like you alluded to as well, is you know, it's going to be on the, the defensive front four. They've got to be able to control things in the trenches, um, you know, and then you're going to you're going to you're going to mix looks. You're going <laughs> to disguise coverages. You're going to play. You're going to give a lot of cover two looks because you've got to respect both sides. Um, of of the you've got to respect the whole the whole field essentially right like you can't you can't play you're you're going to play some special coverages here and there for for London um, but you've got to respect the whole field here and you've got to be able to to have guys in place um, to keep things in front and I think Scally um, you know I think he's going to have a game plan that'll that'll keep his secondary you know in good situations. Um. But yeah, to me again, this boils down to the defensive line. Um, they've they've got to win up front for Utah that for this Utah defense to to uh, I don't want to say have any shot, but to to remain competitive, right? Yeah. Like they've they've got to win up front. And the nice thing is, is you've got a few linebackers, Devin Lloyd, Nephi Sewell, and then what we saw in Kareni Reed uh, was really encouraging. Where you can. You know, you can use them in, in unique ways. They've, they've all kind of proven themselves uh, in multiple facets of the game. Um, you know, especially Devin Lloyd, his ability to come downhill, stop the run, to get after the pass rusher, to play in coverage. Like, you know, he's, he's earning that first round buzz, you know, next year's draft for a reason. Um, and so Utah's got, a, got, you know, they've got guys that they can utilize there with, with those three and, uh, and so you can do some different things. So it'll it'll be interesting to see what Utah comes out with on Saturday. But again, like I, like I said, I think five or six times now, it comes down to the guys in the trenches. It'll be, uh, just to put this in a, some sort of perspective for our viewers, uh, Drake London is 6'5", 210, or at least that's what he's listed at. Uh, and he's got moves like, you know, the the, the, the Britton Covey, Jalen, J- Jalen Dixons of the world. I mean, he, he is like maybe not quite that elite when, when he's got, but he's good for somebody that's six yeah. five and 210 pounds. He, he's incredibly talented. I mean, he's, 
in my opinion, he's, he's he's the best wide receiver in the Pac-12, and and I don't even I don't even know if there's a debate there. But um, Steve, I guess something else to, to to talk about quickly here is is the health of um, this Utah football team. Um, phys- physically, you know, we, we've talked a, a fair bit about their mental health and the kind of concern that 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 fans should have going into this game because there's just a, an element and a sense of unknown. But from a physical standpoint, Utah did get pretty beaten up against Washington State. We we, we spoke a little bit last week that, you know, those three safeties uh, had to leave the game, a handful of others, you know, that, is Nephi still going to play safety because you know, so on and so forth. And the good news, I guess, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but Carl Winningham mentioned in, in the Monday presser that no season-ending injuries yeah. coming out of that Washington State game. So all of the injuries sustained to the three safeties, um, uh, for example, you know, they're not season ending. There's a chance that they will likely come back at some point in the season. Do you have any idea as to what to expect when it comes to that? I mean, they're so discreet when it comes to injuries. So who knows? I'm, I'm kind of asking a question. I, I got, already yeah, know the I answer got, to, but no, I got no idea. Um, so, <laughs> I have no idea, but that'll play a big role. It'll be interesting it at, will. at the start yeah. of the game. If, if, you know, USC gets the ball first to see who Utah trots on out, because, Depending on who's playing, you know that's um, that's going to likely play a pretty pretty pivotal pretty pivotal role in the outcome of this one. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Like, if you've got Vontae Davis, you've got a guy that you feel like you know he can play some some pretty effective cover one. You know, he can play some effective center field, and that allows you to do some things uh, with him back there. If you don't have him, do you do you have a guy that can allow you to do those those same things? Um, you know, his experience is valuable. So, yeah, those those guys, Brandon McKinney, you know, his experience, um, you know, and his ability playing around the line of scrimmage, you know, especially in as a as a kind of a bigger, you know, he's he's a in a way he's almost a bigger nickel, you know, at six foot, 100, 200 pounds, whatever he is. Um, and that's kind of a, an, an, an advantageous kind of an athlete that you can utilize in certain situations. So yeah, like the health of these guys is going to be, uh, is going to play a big role. So we just, we don't know like their availability. Kyle Whittingham was, uh, you know, he's pretty quiet on, on the matter. He was asked about him uh, and, you know, he, he dropped his, his whole, we don't talk about injuries. Uh, and so, you know, we just, we don't know what to expect. We don't know if those guys are going to be out there or not. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see. Yeah. Hey, in your opinion, who's Utah's best cornerback? Is it Clark Phillips? He's had an okay year. He obviously had the pick six against Washington State. But, you know, like you look back on that game, and I know you watch your film, Steve. I know you, my man. Uh, it's, uh-huh. he, didn't, he didn't do that. I mean, he did okay throughout pockets of that game, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't necessarily good. And I said it with all due respect, obviously. The pick six kind of put the icing on the cake and, and made his performance stand out, you know, a bit more than, than maybe it did. Is, is he the best cornerback Utah has? And, and, and I guess, you know, where I'm going with this is, if Utah and, and I can foresee Utah potentially running that shadow coverage where a cornerback kind of just follows Drake London no matter where he is on the field. Is is he the guy? I mean, he's just so undersized. That would be, you know, regardless yeah. of the athleticism that Clark possesses, the height differential just seems like such a mismatch. Yeah. No, me, I, anyway. like I, yeah, I, I'm with you there. Like I I wouldn't do that to to Clark. <laughs> I wouldn't put him I wouldn't make you know, I wouldn't do the shadow coverage. Um, uh, where you, especially with Drake, just because of the size difference, right? Yeah. Like that's, that stuff. Like, I do think like Clark, he, 
like he plays, he can be a physical, uh, like despite, you know, only being 5'10", like he can be physical. Like he's very strong, you know, for his size. And, and, you know, can that be something that they utilize against Drake at times? Like, yeah, I, I think he can, like, I think he can be, you know, effective in certain situations. Um, so, you know, I, I still think Clark, I think a lot of kind of, uh, you know, Utah's played a lot of soft coverage. Um, they played a lot of off man, a lot of cover three where, you know, he's kind of conceding space um, and that kind of stuff. Like, so we, I, I just don't know that we've seen Clark in situations truly know what he's truly capable of. And I'm not sure that I would want to put him, put that responsibility on him against a player like Drake London. Um, that's, that's my thinking. Like I get wanting to to play the shadow cover. I just don't know that I would, I would do it against Drake. Like I think, uh, you know, one, one matchup, like if, if you wanted to do that, I would love to see him matched up against Taj Washington. Like they're, they're similar size. Uh, it would be a good test. And if, I think the thing here is if you can eliminate one of these receivers, you know, in one-on-one coverage, um, I think that that's a, a, that could be a a great thing for this Utah defense. I'm just not sure that I would want to do, you know, Clark Phillips versus Drake London, but I, you know, I would love to see, you know, Clark versus Washington, see what that can get you. If you you do want to roll out that coverage. Um, But we just, we haven't seen it so far. Um, and, and like I said, like, I would hate to put that on him on this stage against that kind of player. Um, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> Cra- crazier things have happened. Uh, yeah. as you, as you were talking, I was just thinking like how, how nice it would be to, um, to, I guess, just like rent Jalen Johnson for a week. Oh, Could we man. just rent Jalen yeah. Johnson back just for He's one week? He's got a week? year of eligibility, right? It's not like the Chicago bears are going to win the game anyway. So like, come on, man, just. For one Sheesh, week, come bro. back. He was, yeah. Uh, he was so good. He he may be. He may maybe. In my nine years of living here in Utah, kind of following the Utah football team, he he may be the best player that I've ever seen play at Utah. Dude, he I mean, was, he was. You like it's it's tough because like you don't want to take it for granted, but he was so good. Like he was he's so good. Like you go back, Brandon Ayuk is you know he's the ASU receiver. Yeah, Sam you know, and, Yeah, and now he's playing for San Francisco. You go back, Isaiah Hodgins at Oregon State, like and what he did against him, like played that shadow coverage against him. You know, Hodgins is in the NFL. Like he was, he was so good, and you know he was six foot. He had length. He was strong. Yeah, he like, could he jump. Was, man, he yeah, he could jump. Like wow, he was he was so good, man. I um, yeah, yeah. Jalen Jalen Johnson is he he is special. Um, yeah. I was gonna say something now that's escaping me, but uh, anyway, I I would love to see him out there for Utah. That would be certainly very very <laughs> too. But oh well, such is life, Steve. They move on, just like children. We all grow up and we have other ventures to go. Uh, here's the deal. It's a six o'clock kick. It's out there at the Coliseum. You can catch the game on Fox. Uh, Steve, are you going out? I am. Yep. Oh, man. Yep. Cool. I, uh, I will be out there. Nice work. So, uh, well, great little cue here to uh, to give Steve's Twitter a- another plug. At Sbartle247, Steve will be out there. He'll be at the Coliseum. Uh, go go follow him, follow along, interact with him, and uh, and discuss Utah football. 
uh, as they play the the, the Trojans. Uh, I'm excited for it, Steve. I, look, I can't wait. I think um, I think it'll be a fun one. Uh, I'm excited to see how they respond. If there's a response, you know, it, I, like I said last, like we said, I should say a week ago, it, it really doesn't matter to me at this point. Um, the health and safety of the players, both mentally and physically, is is the priority uh, for obvious reasons at this point in the year. But if they can go out and and get a victory against USC for the first time in the Coliseum, that that would be so special, um, and that will make headlines for likely weeks to come. Um, it'll be a historic, monumental occasion for Utah Athletics. So it's a big game. It's the USC Trojans against the University of Utah in uh, in a game that could potentially. Uh, and I know Utah hasn't played well this year, but but you know it, it could determine the Pac-12 South anytime Utah plays. USC, you feel like there's going to be some sort of ramification or implication coming out yeah. of the contest. So, um, so that's exciting. Well, Steve, you have fun, my man. Please enjoy yourself. Be safe. Uh, we'll do, do, Tom. Do check Steve out on Twitter at sbuttle247 or at uzone.com, myself at Tom Khan Hackett or at kslsports.com. Big thanks to Nate Wade Subaru. We love and appreciate them. And until next week, we promise we'll try and record a little bit earlier next week uh, to, to, to further talk about the outcome of USC and the road ahead. See you guys. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another... Pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope and Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.